Welcome back, I'm Kim Bailey, she's Fuliana Osborne and this is Inside Exec. Today, Fuliana is going to drag me through a discussion on interpersonal skills, developing your interpersonal skills. She sent me an email suggesting that this would be a very good topic for us to discuss and I just wrote back and said no, I wasn't interested. I haven't got time, couldn't be bothered, I'm too old to develop any more. Not interested at all in developing my interpersonal skills, so I am her challenge today. As you would expect of me, I ignored that. <laughs> and um, uh, how many I, of you are with me on this? <laughs> I think it's really important because you can talk and, and call it even something more modern, but at the end of the day, when you go looking for a job or you're applying, they the technical requirement is a given. You have to have that. And you have to be the best in your field. But then how are you as a person is very, very important. Okay, that's only part of it. I'm also interested to talk about how you continually develop your personal skills to be more successful as a leader at work. So you can see there are advantages here. <laughs> and what I'm talking about is, let's so talk. My, my, my chin hasn't left my hand yet. I'm still, I'm still I'm waiting for inspiration. Being a resilient, which is one of my interpersonal skills, I'll keep going. So we're talking about communication skills, and I think that will make Kim take notice because that's one of her favorite topics it because it can make and break people. So I'll come back to that. So stay with me, Kim. Yeah, don't that's sleep. Why, that's why. <laughs> Coming back to it, so I have to listen to the rest. Yes. Of course, things like I'm just going to mention a few, just sort of we're on the same page. Good work ethics, you know, you, they, they're vital. Ability to receive and give constructive feedback. It's part of everyday life, not just at work, but very, very important at work. Being a team player. Yeah, that's always said. Of course I'm a team player, but we need to develop that more and what it means to an individual. Being flexible and adaptable. Not my way is the right way because I've done it before it worked. I know what I'm talking about. Again, we'll, we'll touch on examples of how to deal with that. Being able to work under pressure or better still, under pressure, we all behave in a different way. And pressure can make people either hide, it can make people explode, it can make people stop thinking, etc. So again, I want to touch base on how do you recognize when you're under pressure? What do you do when you're under pressure? And how are you going to develop that so that you work best even under pressure? The other thing is, is just having a can-do attitude, a positive attitude. And the difference between that and being what sometimes people refer to optimists as silly optimists or mad optimists or whatever. Anyway, this is roughly the background, and then I wanted to also start discussing things about, so for all those behaviours or interpersonal skills, you have so many people you're working with, and they all have different traits. So how do you work with those? It's interesting if we think back, and perhaps you've had an opportunity to listen to the discussion that we had with Trish Nicklin, and she talked about the changes to management and how we manage people, how we manage teams. And I think that in that discussion, 
I was very much in favour of us individually taking responsibility. For me, the interpersonal skill that I want to develop the most is responsibility in terms of myself and in terms of those with whom I am working. All of the other traits and qualities are to a lesser extent important because I think that my responsibility as a leader, as a manager and as the, the manager of my skills is to look at what the skill mix is with the rest of the people that I work with and work for in this instance and determine how I can get the best out of them without detracting from the ones who don't need as much involvement and that the ones obviously that I get on best with are the ones that I might well give the least time to because I know that that relationship will develop regardless whereas the ones that are a bit harder to manage that need a little bit that are a bit more challenging to me in terms of my skills I'll either avoid altogether or I'll admit these things or I will take a particular stance that might not be the best way to manage them but is comfortable for me in terms of, of managing the situation or managing the task. And I think that when it boils down to it, the bottom line is that I will always manage the task ahead of managing the people. And I'm happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, it's extremely valuable. What, what Kim just did is extremely valuable. So... When you think about it, the best thing to understand yourself and the people you're working with is to say to yourself, who do I find most difficult to work with and why? And oh, she's pointing at me. And <laughs> that's okay. Um, she, you, you all know she never lets you get away with anything. That's right. And that's not going to change. So if you look at people that you find difficult to work with, the first thing you need to figure out is why. Sometimes we don't like everyone, and that's fine. You don't have to like them to work with them. We know that. But if you really stop to think is why I find this person difficult and then what strategies have I used to make things better and make things happen and what worked and what didn't work, that would be exactly similar to what Kim just did. The other thing is, is who do I like to work with most? Who do I enjoy working with most? And why? And what strategies have I used? I loved when Kim said, oh, we got a good relationship and that person, I love working with this person and she was not pointing at me. But <laughs> She was pointing at herself. <laughs> <laughs> but what she's talking about there is then she sort of knew the relationship is good so she left it. Now, is that right? Is that wrong? Is that something you can do forever or again you've got to reflect on that see maybe it does for the person that Kim had in mind maybe it doesn't so again you've got to think if you've done any leadership courses or did some reading etc about the sort of people we work with you tend to get people you know you can group them so you can have the egomaniac, for example, who is everything like like to be told how fantastic they are, etc. I'm going to list some of those headings, but I want before I do, I want to say I am not in favour of labelling as such because what happens is if you start thinking this person is an egomaniac or a control freak or whatever, you start focusing on that. Now the fact is. 
not all egomaniacs are the same and not all control freaks are the same. They're individuals. You work with them, so you've got to find out the best way to work with them. And this, to me, is really important. So you can generalize to, if you like, to learn about that personality type, but never, ever forget it will not apply for the two people with the same label on them. Any of you who have been exposed to the DISC model would understand that if you try to categorise people as in either the D or the I quadrant, you'll find that for the most part they'll sit somewhere between the two, that they're not absolutely the dominator in every instance. And, and sometimes they might drop down to, to the lower levels to the C or the S. They might be the carer or they might be the supportive person and they might in some instances where you you know that in the past they've always been the ones who made absolute decisions quickly they had to be in control of making that decision and then suddenly you bring them a project and they want to know all the ins and outs of every little bit and they they seem like they're never going to get to a point where they make a decision and you are thrown completely because you've relied on this label that you've given them about this is the quadrant that they fit into and now suddenly when they're not in that quadrant you don't know what to do you don't know how to manage that situation so I'm very much in favour of not labelling certainly of being aware of the characteristics of those those quadrants because it can help you in dealing with situations but be aware in theory about what you do when you come across what you think is a person exhibiting those traits of that that quadrant rather than this person is this and so I have to, to manage them this way or interact with them this way all of the time. So just develop the skills of being able to work with all of those quadrants whenever they're presented to you rather than the person being in the quadrant. I will use a couple of examples to just see the dangers of making assumptions. Say in your group or in the teams or the project teams that you, you're working with, you have a person who is quiet. Now, that quiet person could be quiet because they just shy. They might be internal and analytical more than average. They might be quiet because they're really not interested. They don't want to be there. Somebody put them there and they're very negative and, and they're just quiet because they said to themselves, if I open my mouth, then they can see. So, again, see how two quiet people, depends on what you understand of that individual and the strategies you use, you could make things much worse. To a great extent, it could be cultural. It might be that they that they have not been encouraged in an author- authoritarian situation to feel that they have the right to say something. It might be that they, they are the second child or that, that in their home environment or their family environment or their cultural environment that they don't speak unless they're spoken to. And so unless you specifically ask them for an opinion, a comment, some input, they won't give it. I know that that is so much a part of working teams. I've seen it so, so often that unless you go around the table, and even in meetings now, at the end of a meeting, I will go around the table and say to people, have you got anything else to offer individually? So that if they haven't had the opportunity during the meeting or if someone else has said the thing that they wanted to say and so they feel like, oh, well, I've got nothing else to add because that was the thing that I was going to say, they've still got the opportunity at the end of the meeting to bring up anything else 
or to reiterate again something that's already been said if they feel that strongly about it. And I think that makes it much more inclusive. It means that you are getting the input. They have the opportunity, if it is the case that they're not confident enough during a meeting as such to say things that they know that they will have the opportunity at the end of the meeting to tell me what they want to say. That's good. We all love a team player. And no matter whether you're working with, for or whatever, you're always looking for team players. So you've got to be careful. So we've all been believing that's a good thing. So you've got a team member who would always put their hand up. They always want to. They're very enthusiastic. They want to be into everything to the point where they overcommit and overpromise and underdeliver. So again, how do you interact with a person like that? The first thing that should come to mind is not go, oh, not him again. He's going to say that, but he's really want to turn up for meetings, want to get things done, etc., etc. Don't go there. The first thing you do is do not destroy that passion about wanting to be involved. Again, how you handle that is crucial, either as a colleague or as a manager. It doesn't matter. You need to sort of say, yeah, good, and then talk to them about with the, with the deadlines and how they placed. Talk about there's going to be other projects, so if not now, let's go through. We can get someone else. Talk about the fit. Don't, don't shy away. Just say, that's fantastic you want to be in, in this group, but at the moment we're looking with someone with this sort of experience. We already got three of other people that can cover this bit. So, But seeing you, you're so keen, I really appreciate it. Can I keep your name down for the next project? That sort of response and says, oh, not, not him again. With all of that, and particularly in the case of selecting members for a, a team, for a project, can I caution you about using the word but? Whenever you say to someone, it's great to have your enthusiasm, it's great to have you part of the team, but we're doing this, all they hear is what you say after but. You can still say that and, and my approach is generally, I really love how enthusiastic you are about every project that we bring here. Can I see what you are working on now? You don't need to use but. You know, it's it's superfluous to the conversation you're having. So don't use it. And if you hear yourself saying it, stop and say and, and say it out loud. Say, no, I'm not going to say that. I want to start again and start again. And then look at the commitments that they've already made and lead them towards making the decision that perhaps on this occasion they've got too much on with conflicting deadlines that they need to be first in line for consideration for next time round, and let them come to the conclusion that they will bring their enthusiasm to the next thing that gets supported. So, so that what you're focusing on the whole time is their enthusiasm and their inclusion in projects when it's appropriate, but you let them make the decision. It's very much like the, the trend at the moment for sales, and sales is that you give the people all of this information you let them come to the conclusion that they're going to buy from you there's plenty of documentation that you can read out there about how to do that and how to get the words right and all those sorts of things but I have concern over a, a few words but however so just listen to, to what you're saying when you when you think about your reaction to these situations and, and try to avoid those words if you can 
My soapbox is taken down. <laughs> no, 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 it's all good, really good information. Back to do not label. If someone is always at meetings, tend to come up with the what I call the black hat view, which is somebody who's doom and gloom, negative, you know that's not going to work and you know this is going to be dangerous and you know that the audit will and you know, and you know, you know. Do not stop listening to them. Please don't stop listening to them. As tempting as it is and as annoying as it is, don't because it's that time when they might say something that you need to. What do you have to do? What do you have in your interpersonal skills toolbox to deal with that? So so what you've got to think about is why are they annoying? Is it because you don't want a, a negative influence in the the positivity that you're bringing to this project? You don't want to stop the momentum that you feel you're, you're gathering by talking in a positive way about the project and suddenly you've got this, this break that's happening around the table. Is it that you don't want a dissenting voice in the team? Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, you have to think about why you're having yes. this, this reaction to this person and if it's happening more than once, if you feel like this is the person that always does it, and we talk, one one of these podcasts will talk about accurate speaking because that's another of my little soapboxes at the moment. But if this is the person who you feel is always negative in these situations, why do you think that? Is it because they have this voice that isn't as enthusiastic? So why don't you start thinking about them as being not negative? Don't don't take it past the the zero point into the the minuses, but why don't you think about it in terms of they're just the the guardrails for this path. Mm-hmm. So they're stopping you falling off either side. And yes, you could stay on the path without the guardrails, but it's a bit of a safety net. Think of them as a safety net and actually listen to what they're saying. And if it's not relevant, then you can make some decisions after that. But if it if it in any way it is relevant to yes. the progress of the, the task that you're doing then you need the guardrails there. And so you need a person like that. And I would much rather have someone in the group that I think of as the guardrails than not, than have nobody who's looking out over the edge of the cliff to see if the water's rising. Now, at the beginning of this session, Kim was not at all interested in this topic. So I have used my interpersonal <laughs> skills to get her interested. And how I did that precisely is finding a piece that's of value and importance to Kim, which was communication. As you can see, when she talked about communication and interaction with others, she is right hooked in there. So I think my job is done. I have actually demonstrated that you can work with someone who doesn't like a certain topic and get them engaged and add heaps of value, as Kim just did. And I hope that some of you have got some benefit out of it, and I have to admit that I probably have too. So, sorry, we'll, we'll, we'll definitely finish here. I'm Kim Bowden, she's for the Osborne, and this is Inside Exec. <laughs>